Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 8, 22 through 26. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah, and he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, ma'am. All right, so we are in Mark. We're in Mark 8, uh, following along with the Lord has for us in this gospel. Um, it's kind of a hard passage, isn't it? You know, Jesus just called Peter Satan. That's pretty, that's hardcore stuff right there. Um, you know, when we think about what sin is and what is the, the actual root of sin, we can actually see this uh, in the first sin recorded in, in, uh, in Genesis. A lot of times people take issue. They'll be like, well, if God wanted us to be good, why would he leave the tree there? Why would he leave that tree there to tempt us? And that actually misses the point, that it's not actually about the tree. If you remember the tree that was the, the, the tree of temptation, it was the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, in reality, God had already told Adam and Eve what was good and evil, and that he was the decider of, who, of what that is. So tree or no tree, Adam and Eve are going to have to decide whether they're going to trust God or not. Tree, tree or no tree, they're going to have to decide, am I going to trust God's definition of good or evil, or am I going to trust my own? And it's, it's, it's just a good illustration. It paints the picture for us loud and clear, but the decision to trust God or not is there regardless of if there is a tree or not. And it's, it really shows that the root of all sin is actually thinking that we are wiser than God. That's the root of it, right? That you can look at God's decisions or look at God's commands and go, that, that's kind of good, I guess. But actually, my plan is probably better, you know? Kind of like what Peter did, right? Jesus lays out this plan, and Peter's like, well, but no. You know, <laughs> actually don't do that, Jesus, which is crazy that he rebukes Jesus. But it points to us that the root of all sin is, 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 is that we think we're wiser God. And this passage is meant to teach us that we ought to set our mind on God's interests. Set our mind on God's interests, which is the gospel of Christ and the way of the cross. So let's ask for his help. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand what you have written in this scripture, that, that, that we would put your concerns, your glory above what we want or what we think is best. So, Lord, apply your scripture to each and every heart. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we are weak. And grant us the ability to receive your word and to obey it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we start with verse 27. 
and we have to, we learn this, that we must all answer the question, who is Jesus? In verse 27, it says, Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now, what we learn from this text is that we honor and worship Christ in the backdrop of a world that does not. The backdrop of this question is important. It says that they were on the way to a city called Caesarea Philippi. This was a town named to honor the Roman emperor. Caesarea, Caesar, you get it? It was a town made, created, and renamed to honor the emperor. And in that town, there was a temple dedicated to the worship of the Roman Empire. And it's it's very interesting to me that, that Jesus decided to reveal who he was to his disciples in that setting. It kind of set, set the tone that, listen, to follow me actually is going to require you some sacrifice. It's going to put you at odds with the dominant culture of this world. In that, and I'm, I'm imagining in that city and the surrounding villages, there was a real pressure to worship the emperor, yeah? You got his temple right there. The city is honoring him. And not only was there a pressure, there actually is a danger in rejecting the worship of the emperor. You know, the first Christians were persecuted not because they worshiped Jesus, but because they did not worship the emperor. Matter of fact, in the first couple hundred years of the church, one of the things that they would do is is they say, hey, if you can can worship Jesus, you can say he's Lord, that's fine, whatever, whatever. But, But you also have to worship the emperor. And they would have Christians up on these trials, and they would give them some incense. We sang about that. That's worship. They would give them some incense. they say, if you would burn this incense to Caesar right now, you can keep worshiping all the other stuff you want to worship. But if you would burn this incense in honor of Caesar, we won't kill you. And they all had to make that tough decision in the context of a world that honored someone above Christ. And the reality is the world always gives us options of who to worship and who to give our allegiance to. And we need to think very carefully. See, well, one of the things that's interesting is, is, is that we live in a world where those messages are more subtle than they used to be. I remember I visited, um, visited a country in South America called Guyana, and there's a, uh, a lot of Hindus in Guyana. And I, you know, I read the Bible a lot, reading about idols, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, oh, there is one. It's right there. There's statues. They, they, these are idols. And so, and, and cultures like that, you go, oh, well, there, okay, there's the idol. But in cultures like ours, some of that idolatry is hidden because it's not a statue. It's an ideal. You know, one of the assignments that I used to love when I was in school, it was usually in English class, is they would say, hey, everybody, I know you're going to watch the Super Bowl, so watch the commercial commercials and write about one. I used to love that because I'm like, well, I'm going to watch it anyway. I'm going to watch the the Super Bowl anyway. But one of the things that was interesting is they wanted you to analyze the commercial and think, what is the message it is sending? How is it trying to be persuasive in order for the person to want to buy that product? And it's interesting, in the messages of the commercials, if you really analyze it, it actually demonstrates the idols of our culture. You, you, you want to be, you be 
cool? You want to you wanna look great? You want to have this, 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 this beautiful representation? Well, if you get this car, you'll be like that guy. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's subtle, but, but that is the, the communication that, that it is, it is, it is it's telling us. There is a messaging that is, is trying to show that you should, dim, you should honor this ideal, this principle, this thing above everything else, and that you should put your money where your mouth is when you honor it. Uh, one of the other things I love to do is, is it's really funny, uh, when, when I'm with some of the high school students, a lot of times they'll have their AirPods. This is not about the sermon. I don't like those. You can, can you not lose them real easy? Anyway, like, you just fall out your ear. Where is that? But anyway, they're listening to their, to their, their music, and I, I always go, what are you listening to? And that question always makes them uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, you listening to it in my presence? Like, why, why can't you tell me what you're listening to? And I even, what is the song name? And, and really, one of the reasons they don't like that question is because I'm like, hey, can, can you explain to me what that song is talking about? They don't want to do that. They don't want to explain. Tell me what the song is. I don't know what. Just say it to me in layman's turn. What are they honoring? Again, you can see in the messaging of the lyrics, there, is, there, is, there are ideals, there are vices that are being lifted up that you should revolve your life around this thing rather than anything else. So Jesus asked the question of who he is and the backdrop of the world system. There's always pressure coming from somewhere to honor something above Christ and in the path of the cross. Now, what's interesting is when Jesus asked the disciples, who do other people say that I am? They actually have a really positive opinion of Jesus. No one's like, he's horrible. But we learned that a good opinion of Jesus is not enough. The apostles all listened. They said, well, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. And Jesus said, that was the greatest prophet before him. Or, or some said that you're Elijah. Again, a crazy great prophet through all these miracles. You're someone honorable that we should love and esteem in some way. Yet the highest opinions of his identity are not enough. The fact of the matter is most people have a high opinion of Jesus. I've never actually, like, really met somebody, even, like, no matter what faith they're coming from, that they're like, I don't like Jesus. I've never heard nobody say that. Most people have a very high opinion, but that does not mean that it is an accurate opinion. If a high opinion is not an accurate opinion, then it's wrong. I was having a, uh, when I was in New York a couple weeks ago, I was having a conversation, and I was having a conversation with a man who was from Pakistan. We talked about family and this, that, and another. And then eventually, I was like, well, I say I preach the gospel. I better get on to it. You know what I'm saying? So we started asking questions about his faith, his Islamic faith. And we started talking about Jesus. And he said, oh, we, we love Jesus. We, we honor him. And like, he was born of a virgin. He said, we, just, we, we, we like him a lot. He was a good prophet. We just don't believe he was the son of God. And I said, well, we do. <laughs> and that's, that's where our, our divergence is. Now, he, he had so many honorific words to give about Jesus, but his claim as the Son of God, his claim as God incarnate, he's like, I cannot accept that. And I imagine that if we were in the setting where, where, where people were saying to, to today, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Well, he could say, oh, I think he's awesome. But yet that would not be accurate. That would not be a high enough opinion of who Jesus is. Now, for the record, we had a pleasant conversation. We hugged at the end, okay? It's fine. It was good. But his opinion of Jesus 
though it was high, was not high enough. See, the Bible says that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. And this question is put to each and every one of us. I've, I've told y'all in the past that the majority of the language in the Bible, if we were writing it in southern dialect, would be y'all. Y'all do this. Y'all do that. And I just assumed that this was the same. But I looked, and actually, Jesus individualizes the question. Who do you? Not y'all. Who do you? Each individual has to ask this question. It doesn't matter who, where you were born or who you're with or, or whom you rely on. You as an individual have to answer that question. Who is Jesus to you? And you cannot rely on someone else. You have to answer this, this question in truth and in practice. Now, Peter says that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, what is that? What does that mean? In one Bible dictionary, it says that in all 39 instances of this occurring in the Old Testament, it means anointed, anointed. Thus, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed by God to fulfill a particular function. In other words, the Messiah is the one who comes to be a prophet, priest, and king to save God's people. Meaning this, the, the Messiah will be prophetic, meaning that he would speak God's word. I don't know if you've ever been wandering through life and like, wow, God, what are you saying? I want to understand what you're saying. Listen, that is the people of Israel in this time. They hadn't had that prophet in 400 years. What is God saying? The Messiah would be one who would speak God's word. Not only that, the Messiah would be priestly. He would atone for and cover the sins of God's people. And he would be a king. He would rule and protect God's people. Peter is saying, look, all the hopes that we have, all of the, 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 the pain and the pressure points that we have, the Messiah is the one who will fix all of that. He will fix all of that. And what's interesting is where Jesus takes the conversation next. In verse 30 and 31, we learn that Jesus followed the way of the cross, according to Scripture. Verse 30 says, And he, Jesus, he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and rise after three days. I'm sure Peter was not expecting that answer. I got it right. Don't tell nobody. Huh? Why, why, why did he want? Wait, Peter, you're not, you're not ready to tell people because, again, Christ did not want them to tell a half gospel. Peter could say, yeah, you're the prophet from God, but they did not understand the prophetic message that the Messiah would have to die in our place. They could say, no, this is the one who, who's going to uh, atone for sin, but they did not understand that the priest, the high, the high priest Jesus would also be the sacrifice himself for sin. They, they, they wanted him to be a king, but they did not understand that he would, would be a king that would conquer through his death. He wanted to make sure, look, I want you to tell people, but you're not ready yet because you don't understand the suffering that is going to come in order for me to fulfill your salvation. If you look at the text in verse 31, it says, he began to tell them that it was necessary. Not that it was 
possible, helpful, necessary. Why would it be necessary that the Messiah would suffer and die? It's because the scriptures point to this. This is one of the most miraculous things that you can read the Old Testament that's written hundreds of years before Jesus, and you can find prophecies indicating what he would do and who he was. All the scriptural prophecies actually point to him. And you can see these prophecies spread throughout the Old Testament. So you can go to to Deuteronomy 20, 21, 23, and it says, for anyone hung on a tree as under God's curse. Why is that in there? Because God's chosen one, the perfect one, was hung on a tree, the cross. And he was under a curse, but the curse that did not belong to him, a curse that belonged to us because of our sin. Or we can go to Psalm 22, 16. It says, for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Far as we understand, David did not have his hands pierced. A nail didn't go through David's feet, but we have Jesus on the cross surrounded by his enemies, and they have pierced his hands and his feet. Or we can even go to the prophets where where it says in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, it says, Yet he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Why was it necessary that the Christ would suffer and die? Because it was prophesied that he would. Listen, the the beauty of the scriptures, written over hundreds of years by dozens of authors, indicating one message that the Christ must suffer and die should give you confidence in the God that we serve. It must have been that way because God said it would be that way. Not only was it necessary because of the prophecies, the suffering and death of the Messiah was necessary for our forgiveness. In Hebrews 9.22, it says this really short, short, short phrase. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So I was, I was talking with uh, Tommy the other day. I tried to meet uh, with, with the elders on a one once a month, and, and I was like, what are you reading? And he was like, I read through Leviticus. And if you've started, if you've started reading through Genesis, you've, you're going strong, and you get to Leviticus, you kind of slow down a little bit, you know what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> you go, oh, yeah. But well, one thing he said, he says, says, in Leviticus, it laid out all these sacrifices, all of, all of these, these means through which we had to approach God. And if I didn't learn anything from Leviticus, I learned this, that God takes sin seriously, and that sin actually requires a sacrifice to be dealt with, to be forgiven. Sin must be paid for, and it was necessary that Jesus would die because we have sins and we can't pay for them. We don't have the good works to cover our sins, but we needed somebody. That's why the Bible says that Jesus is our ransom. It says, the Son of God came to be a ransom. What is a ransom? It's a payment. 
We needed help. We didn't have the funds. Jesus said, I'll pay it with my own life. Not only does the Bible call Jesus a ransom, he says that he is our redemption. What does it mean to redeem something? It means that, that, that you have this cost and you pay it. Listen, the cost of our sin was our death. But Jesus said, I'll take that in your place. It was necessary that the Son of Man, that Jesus Christ would die because our sin is great and requires some payment, a sacrifice. But not only that, he said, said, it is necessary that the Son of Man would die, but also that he would rise in three days. And again, that was prophesied as well. In Psalm 1610, it says, for you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. In one of the first sermons recorded in Acts, Peter says, listen, David wrote this psalm. Y'all know he dead, right? Like, it's not talking about him. <laughs> who, who is it talking about? He's like, his grave is over there, y'all. It's not talking about David, but it's talking about this Jesus. Listen, the resurrection proves his innocence. Listen to this. It says, you will not allow your faithful one to see decay. People could see Jesus on that cross and assume that he was guilty and that he was at fault. But the father raised him from the dead. They go, wait a minute. Don't get it twisted. This is my faithful one. Not only that, the resurrection proves the effectiveness of his sacrifice. Some of you might be wondering, does Jesus' does a sacrifice cover me? And you might be looking inward to try to figure that out. My, my question is, if Jesus, does Jesus' sacrifice cover you? Well, did he rise from the dead? It's not, not about what you did or what you didn't do or your, your, the, the level of, of repentance or sincerity. Listen, if you repent and believe, his sacrifice covers you. And how do you know? Because God raised him from the dead. Jesus said, I got to go this way. Peter, it is necessary. The scriptures demand it. Your sin demands it. And I will demonstrate my power even through this weakness of the cross. And then we get to verse 32, and it's real easy to look at Peter and think he's dumb, but we are all tempted to put our interests ahead of God's interests. We're all tempted to put our interests ahead of God's interests. Verse 32, he spoke openly about this. That's very, very important because he was speaking in parables beforehand. He's like, let me just make it plain. I'm going to die. Make it plain as possible. He spoke openly about this. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. If that ain't the craziest verse in the Bible. Jesus, come here, man. You tripping. You know, like, like Peter, chill out, bro. Like, 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 listen, the way of the cross offends our desires for power, status, and safety. Peter didn't want to be associated with a weak savior. He thought, hey, Jesus is going to be the king. I, I get to be with him. He didn't want to be associated with a low status. He didn't, he didn't want to be associated with, with danger. Jesus, the path that Jesus chose and had to go, it offended the sensibilities of Peter because he's like, I don't want to walk behind you if you're going there. 
Now, if you're going if you're gonna bypass that and sit in the throne, I, I'll be in your posse. But I don't want to go, I don't want to go over there, Jesus. I don't want to walk down that path. That is a path that I didn't have planned in my life. I would rather take the high road. I don't want to go the low road of humility and sacrifice. But the reality is that that Christians walk this path every single day. It's really easy to, 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 when we're looking at Scripture and we're seeking how to apply it, that, that we're thinking about ourselves primarily. You should think about yourself. But I want you to understand this, that this pathway of the cross, this sacrifice, this, this dying to self, that is Christian's reality throughout the world today. So, so I, one of the things I do is I have this little app. It's called The Voice of the Martyrs, and it just reminds me to pray for Christians who are persecuted throughout the, throughout the world. And you'd be surprised. Country, just so many different countries, so many different needs, so many struggles faced from martyrdom to persecution to financial hardship. There are Christians who are walking this path of weakness, low status, and danger for the sake of Christ. That's one of the reasons why we pray. I don't know if you got that. We pray for the persecuted every week. Why? Because they are walking this path that Jesus set before us. But even for us, even though that's not our reality, obedience to Jesus for us still requires us to risk power, status, and safety. Listen, Jesus says, hey, I want you to, to love and forgive your enemies. Now listen, when somebody's done you wrong, you really want to hold that against them. Real, you know what I'm saying? You remember what you did? You know, like, you want to hold that, you, you want to, that's, that's, that's a power, you, you, can, you can hold that, and you can, you can kind of flex on them. Like, now you remember, but Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to forgive them. I want you to love them. That's, that's not a way to gain high status. Or, or how about this? When, when, when Jesus calls us to obey him, even when others are not, it's real easy to obey Jesus with a bunch of people who obey Jesus. But I remember, listen, y'all, I went to public school, and I tried to follow Jesus in public school. It was not popular. Alright? I, I remember being in high school and feeling like, I want to obey Jesus. Everybody else was like, whatever, you done. I'm like, okay. You know, like, like, I'm going to just keep trying to obey Jesus. I remember sometimes, like, y'all, can y'all invite me to the party? I mean, I ain't coming, but could you at least invite me? You know? But listen, obeying Scripture when others do not, that is, that is a path of low status, of sacrifice. How about danger? Listen, listen, obeying Jesus requires some risk in your conversations, does it not? When Jesus calls you to speak, his word to people that you you already lit like the conversation I had in New York. I already know we wasn't gonna have, it wasn't gonna, we were gonna be on the same page. I knew we was gonna have some arguments. I knew we were gonna have some dis- disagreements about it. But nonetheless, Jesus calls us to the pathway to risk in our words. And and the reality is, we try to rebuke God when His plans do not match ours. So you look at the ridiculousness of Peter. Taking Jesus aside, like, let me teach you something, Jesus. Yet we take Jesus aside in our hearts when we resent his plan and we resent his path in our lives. When in our, in our, in our hearts and our minds, we're like, let me tell you something. That is not what I want to do. <laughs> That's not how I want it to go. That path is not the path I want to walk. And so just like 
Peter, we are called to humble ourselves and maybe think maybe maybe Jesus's way actually is best, even if it wasn't the way that I would want to go. Maybe I can trust him that the path he asked me to walk is good, even though I'm in the middle of it and I can't see nothing. <laughs> it looks dark. Maybe we, we don't want to step in Peter's shoes and rebuke God by our attitude regarding where he has taken us and what he wants us to do. But instead, we can follow Jesus in that path of the cross. In verse 33, we, we, we learn that, that we do not need to fall into the satanic trap of valuing people's interests above God's interests. It's a satanic trap. Look at verse 33. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but humans' concerns. I, I think one of the reasons that, that Jesus rebuked him so strongly is because of, he was setting an, an example, a bad one at that, right? He looked around at the disciples. So Peter's trying to take him aside. Jesus is looking at everybody like, you're about to mess up everybody, dog. <laughs> like, like, be quiet. <laughs> like, I'm trying to tell everybody this. You're wilding out. Listen, listen, sometimes Jesus takes you aside because you're tripping and other people see you. I mean, like, you're leading in the wrong path. Jesus like, nah, nah, come on over here. You're tripping. Listen, we have to follow the crucified Jesus. This means that we have to understand that following Jesus will hurt sometimes. Following Jesus will offend my gut inclination. There are some times when I feel like the Lord wants me to do something, and in my gut, I'm like, mm, but for real, you know, like, I don't really want to, you know, there's, there's like, I feel the inner conflict between obeying God and doing what I want to do. I feel it deeply, you feel me? And, and listen, if you never felt that inner conflict of following Jesus, you're going to need to question if you follow him. If you've never felt, ah, I don't, this is what you want me to do? Are you sure? Like, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, that inner conflict is actually evidence that you're not just following somebody you made up, but you're following the biblical Jesus who tells you to go places that you don't want to go and say things that you don't want to say. That inner conflict, that's, that's the path of discipleship. You have to press into that and go, I need to say no to my flesh. I need to say no to the part of me that values what I value above him. I have to say no to all that, and I have to risk and take steps towards following Jesus. We cannot put human concerns over God's concerns. You know, one of my favorite authors is Peace Cazaro, and and what he says, he says, he says, let me say this as clearly as possible. Jesus denounced any activity that had traces of seeking the approval or admiration of others. So, so a lot of times the reasons that we are afraid to, to do what Jesus wants us to do is because we're afraid of, well, what will so-and-so think? How will they perceive me? Well, I get invited to the party that I want to go to. I don't know. You know, like, whatever it is. Like, like, like it, it, there's going to be a friction. Over, what will my boss think? What will my coworkers think? What will my family think? What, you just start li having this long list of people's opinions. And you focus on their opinions, and their opinions become larger and louder in your mind. And they begin to crowd out the opinion that God has, which is the one that matters the most. I think that that's, this is actually one of the, 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 the dangers of living in, a, in a, a culturally Christian 
uh, 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 space is that, that, that we can do Christian stuff so that people can admire us too. That's not the, that's not the pathway Jesus wants. We, we should seek obedience to him regardless of people's approval or disapproval. It's not about what people think. It's, is Jesus pleased with me or not? See, Jesus saw in Peter this thirst for power, popularity, and status, and he recognized it for what it was, a satanic temptation. Listen, that, that thirst for power, popularity, and status, that is what led to the downfall of Satan. He coveted God's spot. He, he wanted to be the most popular. He wanted to have the status. He wanted that top spot, and he wanted the creation to look at him and say how beautiful he was, and that's what led to his downfall. And if we're not careful, that's what could lead to ours too, that we're so concerned about what other people think. Because Peter's thinking, look, Jesus, you're talking about you the Messiah, you the leader. They're not going to believe you if you're on the cross, Jesus. Come on, man. But no, no, we have to follow the path that he set before us. And that looks different for each and every one of you. Here's I know. Here's sometimes people I ask you this question a lot. I'll say, "What is God communicating to you?" And sometimes people look at me like, "I don't know." Here's what I know: If you are walking with the Lord, there is some area of conviction, some area He's pressing on you. Do this, say that. Listen, if you're walking with the Lord, one of the evidences is that you have the Holy Spirit of God, who brings up the Word of God in your heart who convicts you of sin, and who calls you to obedience. There's some area that he's pressing on, and we have to trust him that the path of the cross, the path of doing what we don't want to do, actually leads to life. Can we not see this in the gospel itself? That the suffering of Christ led to our salvation. There was life and light at the end of the tunnel, not only for Christ, but for us. His suffering, his obedience to the point of death led to our forgiveness and our access to God without any shame. Beloved, there is light and life on the other side of the pathway of the cross. Listen, our, our suffering for Christ, it leads to pleasing God. I've, I've told this story a lot from the scriptures. It's one of my favorite ones. One of the, the, the first martyrs, Stephen in Acts, when he's getting martyred, it says that Jesus, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Every other scripture says he's sitting down. But when he sees Stephen obeying, he stands up. That's my boy. I see it. I see it. Listen, listen. Our suffering, it pleases God. It is a sweet aroma when it is in obedience to him. But not only that, our suffering for Christ leads for temporal and eternal good for others. Listen, serving people costs you something, do it not. It costs you something. It costs you time. It costs you money. It costs you stuff. But listen, listen. If we would serve Christ by serving other people, it leads to their good. And not simply their earthly good, though that is good. But if we would sacrifice by serving others and speaking God's word, it leads to their eternal good. 
You know, when I, one of the, the verses that really, that I wrestle with, I, it's in Philippians, and, and Apostle Paul, he's just being, he's in jail, you know, he's in jail again, and he's writing, and he's like, I really want to be with Jesus. He's like, I would rather not be here, actually, on the earth at all. Like, I actually want to be, I would rather be with Christ, but it is more fruitful for you if I remain. That verse convicts me, because I'm like, is it more fruitful for me? And for other people, if I remain, like, can I say that with Paul? Do, do I live my life in such a way that I can say, listen, if I stay here, there is fruit for other people to glean through my obedience to Jesus. That is a challenge for us all. But if we were to walk the path of the cross like Jesus did, or walk the path of the cross like Paul did, we can say our being here in the flesh is yielding good things for those around us. That does not happen if we are overly concerned with what we want or what other people want. But if we are concerned primarily with what God wants, God will use our life to bring fruit to those around us. We don't suffer because we just like to suffer. That's weird. <laughs> like, that's, 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 no, no. We, we suffer because Jesus says, if you follow me in this path of suffering, and this path of obedience that rubs you wrong at the gut level. You're like, I don't know. But if we follow him in that, there is life for us and life for those around us. So we have to be people who value God's interests above our own. One of, one of the ways that we try to, to do this as a church is that we try to keep the gospel central. You don't, look, you might not know what I'm going to preach next week, but you know I'm going to say something about Jesus dying on the cross. <laughs> like, you know that's coming. Like, surprise. You know, like, like, like that's why we focus on the gospel. Listen, it, it would probably be, like, strategically better if I had a series about the seven ways to do this cool thing. Ten tips for this. That would probably be wiser in the world's standards. Can I, can I use something that would just get people and draw them in there and bait and switch it? But I'm like, no, no. We have to put God's interests above our own. That, that, that's why the gospel is central. We have to obey Christ even if it costs us status and suffering. And the only way that you'll get there is if you think often about the sufferings of Christ. That is the only thing that can warm your heart and shape it in such a way that you would be able to risk in following Christ. So my question is, so, so I, I, I want you guys to spend time uh, in devotion and reading the scripture, but, but it has to be aimed at a certain particular uh, idea. Do you see the sufferings of Christ? Do you meditate on his death for you, on the fact that he obeyed Jesus, he obeyed God even when it was difficult? That has to be a part of your devotional life because the more that I look at the sufferings of Christ, the more my heart is, is wooed in a sense to imitate him. But if I only see victory, success, honor, if I only see that, I ain't never going to want to suffer. In Galatians, Paul said, he said, it was before your eyes that I painted the picture of Christ crucified. Matter of, and in Corinthians, says, I didn't know nothing with y'all except Christ and him crucified. 
that if we have the picture, the image of the crucified Christ in front of the eyes of our mind, then we would be willing to follow him and walk with him in that path of obedience, even if it requires suffering. And so this, this is my heart, y'all. I, I, I'm going to just keep it real, man. Y'all, it, it's hard to follow Jesus, is it not? <laughs> All right, I'm a, like sometimes when I, when I, when I think about um, uh, some of the sacrifices that, uh, that we make or that our church makes to serve our community, and I'm like, man, I, does, it, does, it, does it do anything or do people care? I don't know. But it can't be primarily about that. It has to be because Christ is worthy. It has to be because we want to obey him. That is the only thing that it will sustain you in the hard moments. The, the, the praises of people will rise and fall depending on what you do or what you don't do. It is fickle and it doesn't matter. But, beloved, if we look at the sacrifice of Christ, that is what encourages us to make sacrifices for his glory. And remember, at the end of that sacrifice is light and life. So let's be people that set our mind on God's interests, which is the gospel of Christ and the way of the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you please, please apply the scripture to our hearts. Help us to want to follow you, to not be afraid of of what it might cost, to actually uh, trust Uh, That your way, though it's not the way we would want, it's not the path we would choose, but that your way is good. And that we can trust you even if we are walking the way of the cross. Lord, I pray that that our hearts would just be consumed with your interest. Lord, you are the one who is worthy. You are the creator. You are king over all. So, Lord, help us to worship you with our lips and our life. Lord, use, use this, our, our little feeble obedience, though it might be imperfect. Would you use it to bless those around us? We want to see your name spread around. We want, we want to see people know the, the goodness of your gospel. So, Lord, please use us. In Jesus' name, amen.